0: We are going to get right into the Gospel of Mark, starting in chapter 1 in our third sermon in a series titled, The Way of the Lord. And this particular collection of stories that we're going to go through today is going to really emphasize the second half of our series title, The Way of the Lord. If you'll recall, last week we looked at the first half of the series title, The Way. In all of the ways that Jesus came onto the scene after John the Baptist baptizes him, and he's anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he's tested, driven by the Spirit, to be tested to overcome all temptation. And then he is sent preaching into all of the surrounding areas, the kingdom of God. And then we saw him left off last week as he called disciples to himself And in that message, there is all sorts of ways that we are called to model our lives after him. If he truly is the way, we're supposed to look at the life of Jesus and say, okay, well, what does that look like? The only challenge is that if we fail to emphasize the way without emphasizing the Lord, then we may be stuck in the predicament that we often are with the question, so what? So what if Jesus lives his life a certain way? And so what if he calls? And so what if he does work by the power of the Holy Spirit and preaches? What does that have to do with me? Well, the Gospel of Mark wastes no time to answer that question. As you look at the way of the Lord on the scene in ministry, we're now going to pivot very quickly to a collection of stories that will establish his lordship. And it starts in verse 21. It says, then they went into Capernaum. They, meaning those disciples he had just called to himself, they're now traveling with him. And it says, immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And as he's teaching, they notice in his teaching style and his teaching conviction that they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And this is the word that we will find as a theme throughout the next collection of stories that we'll look at. Remember, the Gospel of Mark gives us themes to look for as he shares a, a, a number of collaged stories. And the theme for this week, as we look at all the stories that are about to unfold, is Mark is going to help us understand authority of Christ. And this is why the word, the Lord, is so important. The Lord establishes who the authority of your life is. And without fail, week by week, we keep unpacking things in the gospel of Mark that should initially make us uncomfortable. Remember week one, we looked at John the baptizer coming on the scene, and he was causing people to confess their sin in an act of repentance. And we, we looked at that and said, this is a great time to be talking about repentance as the church is about to grow, to thin out the audience, because that is a word that we don't love. Repentance means that you're going the wrong direction in life, and God is calling you to do an about face, which means we have to humbly admit that we are not the Lord of our own life. And then last week, it says that Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God and causing people to repent of their sin, another word that we hear in our modern ears and we think, sin, really? Yes, sin. The gospel good news is that Jesus came to save sinners from destruction and to bring them into the kingdom of God. And now we have another word that is just as challenging, a word that will come up in a collection of stories that is the authority or lordship of Christ. And one of the challenges of following Christ in your life is not simply that he calls you to repent, And be refreshed and renewed by the power of repentance away from sin. But he also calls you to acknowledge his authority over your life. And authority is a challenging word for me. And most of you, if not all of you, because we all have people of authority in our lives as we look back to uh, being a youngster in school or going out into the workplace or joining a team and coaching or having someone over us in our, uh, the place of our dwelling. And wherever there is authority, there is an opportunity for humans to get involved and use authority wrongly. You all have experienced the teacher who abused their authority by causing you to go through a season where you just felt troubled and and compressed towards a non-enjoyable use of authority, or a coach, or the manager. Or, more likely, and the tragedy of this sermon on authority, is that so many people avoid what we're doing right now, Because the word authority has been used negatively attached to the name of God. And churches or pastors or spiritual leaders or guides have used the authority that God wants us to submit to in ways that actually pushes us farther from the love of God than draws us near. And so this morning, we will walk through an exercise of understanding the lordship and authority of Christ to acknowledge the way of the Lord as not just a way, or good advice, or a good model or example of one way to live life, but as the authoritative way to live life modeled by Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we also have to allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse us from ways that we would recoil at the concept of authority in our life. The concept of someone coming to you and saying, follow me, not just as good advice, but as someone who will demand your life in all of the ways that authority has the ability to direct you and shape you and mold you in the way that you should go. And as we've already stated, we're going to look at a large passage of scripture. We'll have to go quickly because Mark is going to leave no stone unturned in the way that Jesus comes onto the scene preaching an authoritative lordship for all who would receive him as the king or the Christ in an exhaustive manner, in ways that will probably press us into ways in trusting God that we may feel uncomfortable with. And it starts in the same scene that we look at them being amazed at his authority to teach, unlike the scribes. The scribes being really just commentators or people who would make comments on the word or the law based off other understandings from rabbis or Pharisees and people that would try to dissect the word by saying, here's one way to look at it. Well, Jesus comes on the scene and says, here is what this means. You've heard it said in days of old, you shall not commit adultery. I say to you now, the deeper meaning of all of it is that anyone who lusts in their heart has already committed adultery. All of the ways that Jesus teaches astonishes people by the way he establishes the authoritative word of God as the one who breathed it. And then we get an example of one of the ways his lordship covers a reality of your life. Verse 23, now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So Jesus, imagine the setting that is being described in the gospel. He's in a synagogue, not unlike what we're doing now, a large gathering where people can come, hear the word of God preached. And one of the ways this will thread a theme in the stories that we look at today is in the ways that Jesus establishes authority in surprising and interruptive ways. Jesus is teaching from a scroll, no doubt, and a spirit cries out, an unclean spirit. How's that for an interruption in the middle of church? As someone who is thinking about all of the ways that Jesus will be interrupted as he's establishing his authority, and then rebukes any interruption that comes between him and his lordship, I couldn't help but sympathizing as a preacher in all the ways that it's sometimes hard to preach, because things just happen. Babies cry, and as As fate would have it, first service, first time that I can ever remember, some kid just ran right up on stage as I'm teaching this. I was like, I'm so glad I was prepared for distractions. He beelined for the guitar and started playing it, and I was like, oh, perfect, perfect. We need an example of interruption, because this is what's happening in the teaching of Jesus. He's interrupted by an unclean spirit, and as the unclean spirit cries out at the teaching and the authoritative word of God through the mouth of Jesus, he says, I know who you are. Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? He knows there is a spiritual demonic being that understands the authoritative power that Jesus has in the spiritual realm. And I told you that the lordship of Christ would push some of us in ways that we're uncomfortable with. Some of you, as it will say, this is going to be a new idea, a new concept for you, that you're coming to church not just to hear wise teaching. Not just to hear a wise sage who could help you balance your checkbook and live a better life, but as someone who is actually wrestling with the unseen realm. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. When the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And a response to the acknowledgement of the Lordship of Christ that says they were all amazed. So that they question among themselves, What is this new doctrine? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. For those of you who want to look at Christ as a teacher, as someone that you can safely add to the rhythm of your life without disrupting anything about your life that you're not comfortable with, the Gospels do not give you the option to contain Jesus to the physical realm. And the challenging part for this message in our little sliver of the Western culture that we live in is that by God's grace, we have seen his absolute sovereignty make unclean spirits and demonic presence something that we don't think a lot about nowadays. And that is just as challenging to our audience as it was to them, because if you Don't realize there's a demonic realm. If you do not realize that Jesus came with dominion and lordship over the spiritual realm, you are only experiencing part of his lordship. This is how C.S. Lewis describes this in a book that I would recommend anyone interested in the topic of spiritual influence, demonic influence in your life. He wrote an entire fictional book about how we are in our mind under the pressure of the Unseen Realm, in a book called Screwtape Letters. And it's the fictional character of, of two demons writing back and forth on how to invade or keep people from actually knowing God. And the preface of the book, before he actually ever gets into the fictional letters, he writes this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which mankind can fail about demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the demons, are equally pleased by both errors, and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So the, the concept being is the unseen realm is just as dangerous as if you don't acknowledge it as if you do is if you turn into a modern-day skeptic of anything spiritual, and everything can be reduced to a math equation and logic and reason, and the only thing that you need Jesus for is your mental well-being. That's not what we see in the Lordship of Christ. And 10 years ago, it was much more difficult to stir in us an awakening for the spiritual realm because we lived in an overlap of Christendom with the secular society that is decreasing all of the time. In the last 10 years, we have become an increasingly less God-centric society. We are a culture that is a lot less interested in the worship of God, in trusting God, in seeking God. And with that does not come a rise of math and logic. With that comes a rise of evil spirituality, for the first time in a long time, we have a rise of people interested in things like tarot cards and witchcraft and manifestation through demonic prayers. This is a time that we live in where we see both options pulling us at the, at the threads. Because as I preach right now, there are some of you saying, I did not come to church to talk about demonic influence. And there are others of you saying, I am interested in demonic influence. I've got friends or or co-workers who are interested in it. And to that we say, know this, Jesus is Lord of the unseen realm. Jesus comes to set the captives free from demonic oppression throughout the scriptures. We see him casting out unclean spirits and they obey him which means they know who he is. They say, did you come to destroy us? He has the power to cast them out by his name, and they do not have the ability to argue with him. They leave, which means a couple things. One, if you are tempted into the, the modern-day interest in the occult practice, know that Jesus is Lord of those things. Know that we are a people that believe that there is a spiritual realm, and the Lord of the spiritual realm is Jesus Christ. And the promise of Scripture is anyone who has put our faith in Christ, he who is in us now by the power of his Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. So you do not have to worry about the age of darkness that we live in invading your soul because Christ has dominion over your life, and he will protect you. The other thing to remember is that demons clearly, in the Gospels and pointed out by the book of James, have a knowledge and theology of the Holy One, Jesus of Nazareth. says, we know who you are. Some of you know who Christ is. Some of you can acknowledge him as the one who has come to set the captives free from sin and the slavery of sin. But James says, good for you, even the demons believe. We see here that the demons have proper theology about Christ. Just knowing God is not enough. It is what you do with that knowledge to call him the Lord of your life and the Savior of your soul that actually matters. It says in Psalm chapter 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So if you believe in God, you're one step above a fool. But until you surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, you're still in the category of demonic theology. They know who Christ is. What does your ability to understand the Lordship of Christ in your life move you towards the spiritual realm look like? Have you acknowledged the Christ of the spiritual realm, the one who has, set, has come to cleanse us from the inside out, to remove darkness from our life, and to put us as children of the light that trust him in the unseen realm? And she'd have great confidence in this moment because as we have seen Christ diminish in the glory of, of his seat of honor in our culture, we have seen spiritual darkness on the rise. And if you've read the headline news over the last couple of years, you should start to see the reality of Ephesians 6 taking place that we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. There's something behind the rulers of our age that is a demonic force pulling them away from Christ and towards the honoring of pride and sin. But don't worry, because Christ is the Lord of the spiritual realm. And that's what this picture is This particular story is painting the picture for us as we go through all of the ways that Christ is Lord. He is Lord of the spiritual realm. Then it says in verse 27, Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him, and immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. This is a a commentary by Mark to Help us understand what is happening in the ministry of Jesus. Very quickly, he has gone from testing in the desert to preaching the kingdom of God, and people respond to the authority of Christ by wanting more of him. That's an interesting thing for us to consider. As these stories unfold, we will find a theme throughout all of the authoritative moments that Christ's ministry begins with, that his fame increases, that more people want to come to him, that the houses begin to fill up and he's no longer able to enter cities because of who he is. When he's truly on display, he brings people to him. He does not cast them away. Hopefully the first sign of a redemptive quality of the authority of Christ that can separate us from other examples of authority that have led us astray. And in verse 29 it says, Now as soon as they, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon, who will will later know as Peter, and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. And they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and he lifted her up and immediately the fever left her and she served them. And the story goes on. So imagine they've just left the synagogue. It's post-church, post-Saturday for them gathering. And they're going to the house that they're all going to gather in. So now we've got the picture of the church and the synagogue. Now we've got a picture of like a community group that's breaking out. And Jesus takes some of them into a smaller house where Peter has invited Jesus and some of the disciples. And Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And Jesus hears word of it. And now we go from the lordship over the spiritual to the lordship over the physical because it says he physically touches her and he lifts her up and the fever goes away. And then the gospel of Mark is going to give us a picture of these two things unfolding as part of his reputation in the area. At the evening when the sun had set, they brought him to all who were sick and those who were demon possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Imagine that scene. They all hear that Jesus has got the power to cast out unclean spirits. He's got the power to heal fevers and all sorts of disease. And everyone is attracted to him. And then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow demons to speak because they knew him. This will be one of the ways that we see the gospel give Jesus this very calculated and measured approach to the way that he is revealing himself to people. The demons know who he is, so he rebukes them, and they have to remain silent because of the authority that he has over them. And then the various diseases. So, Peter's. Mother-in-law is healed. People come from all over the town and it says various sicknesses and diseases. Jesus is able to heal. The lordship extends now to our physical bodies. And so it is. The Jesus that we worship and that we praise and that we study as a living God is the Jesus who has the dominion over the spiritual realm and has power to heal the physical sickness and ailments that exist in our bodies. And that's good news. And I know that many of you as our church body believe in that theology because of all of the ways that we are a praying church. I get the request every week. Matt just called you to the mat of prayer and said, let us know what you need. And time and time again, the most predominant prayer request we have is a prayer for physical healing. So praise God for your faith in that. Praise God for the ways that we get to take part in James' call for the elders to lay hand on anyone who is sick. And we do that with confidence that God can heal. And we also have stories throughout the sanctuary of God healing of God bringing restoration to a body, of God, of, of God bringing some sort of ailment to cease, of God breaking through the, the cells of cancer. And we are a church with testimonies of God's healing. And I also point out to you something very important given to us by the gospel for us to cling to. He says in verse 34 that he healed many who were sick, which means that of all the people who came into the city, and waited outside the line of the healing ministry of Jesus, not all of them were healed. And I'm grateful for that good news message, as I saw some of you walk in with casts and with things that were obviously ailing you, as I myself developed a little limp out of nowhere. I think it's the 40-plus ailments that just come now in my life. And I realized that my physical body can be healed by God, but it doesn't have to be. And there is... A moment that we just have to pause because wherever the lordship of Christ is on display, there is an ability for authority to get mixed in with bad theology. And some of you may have heard that you are sick, or you are still feeling physical sickness because your faith is too weak, or because there's still sin in your life. Because. God clearly wants to, to set all of us free from physical sickness. And if he hasn't set you free, then that's a problem with you. And I just want to set you free from bad teaching this morning. Because Jesus says, not all were healed. Many, but not all. And then something else happens in his ministry. It says, now in the morning, having risen a long day before, before light came up, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. Meaning, the word's out, and a bunch of people that don't have insurance and don't have copay and don't have money for the doctor really need to get a hold of you because they've got sickness. And he said, Well, we're going to the next town. We're not setting up a 24 7 healing ministry, it's not for that purpose that I came. And we're going to get deeper into why Jesus is on the move and he doesn't take time to heal everyone as the collection of stories unfold because there is a deeper need for the authority of Christ to be put on display. But we'll point out something, that Jesus did not come on earth to set up a 24-7 ministry of any sort. In fact, it says that early that morning, he had already woken up to go pray, to go be alone in a desolate place, to go get away from the crowds. Think about the three weeks that we've spent on a sermon and how fast and how many things have been packed into the ministry of Jesus so far. He's already preached, and within day one, he did pretty much an all-day ministry tour, healing people, casting out demons, and teaching people. And after this big, long day that lasted well into the night, what did he do? Did he sleep in and get some alone time, and and just say, okay, I've put in my ministry hours. I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to see any people. He went to be with the Father. He went to get refreshed in the Spirit. He went to get alone to seek a renewal that comes in the presence of the Father. And so this almost feels like an intermission in between stories of his lordship that we're stuck between. As we get farther down the passage, we'll find more. And it says Jesus went away to pray. And there's a couple things that we can learn from this little intermission that Mark gives us about prayer. One, if Jesus prayed, if Jesus could not do 24 7 maxed out ministry, if Jesus had to leave some people in their need to go be with the Father, how much more do we need to find our desolate place to be refreshed in the Spirit? How much more do we need to say to the Father in heaven? I need you before I go crazy from all the busyness and the people that that surround my life. But also, as we look for ways to redeem the word authority, to look at the Lordship of Christ, not as a burden, but as this amazing blessing that he calls us into. Hidden into Jesus' example of refreshment and renewal in the presence of God through prayer is also a beautiful example of what proper authority looks like. As Jesus comes teaching with authority, healing with authority, casting out demons with authority, he gives us a picture of authority that is still yielded. Authority that comes from the Father in heaven. Later in the Gospel of John, he says, I do nothing on my own authority, only what the Father tells me to do. And in some of the ways that we have seen authority go wrong in our lives, it is unchecked and it's unbridled. It's someone that's on a mission that came from their own vision and their own idea. And if Jesus submits his authority to the will of the Father, how much more should we who follow Jesus submit any office that he gives us? Should submit any opportunity that we have to step out in faith and speak on his behalf to lead on his behalf, to be authoritative with the word of God and the feet and the hands of Jesus on his behalf, how much more should we be submissive to the will of the Father? And so to all of the offices that I hold, to the glory of God, I do nothing apart from his will. I pray that through the power of prayer and the humility of submissive authority, that I would never lead this church or preach a sermon or Point us in the way that ministry may be opening up without the will of the Father being perfectly yielded to. And I hope I never lead my, my wife or my children or any gospel-centric friendship apart from the will of the Father. I do nothing in my own authority, and so it is with you. As we'll see this unfold, God will give us the power of his Spirit to become ambassadors of the authority of Christ how much more do we have to yield? One of the questions that I hope is stirred in your hearts when we get done with this sermon is what is an acknowledgement of the lordship of Christ look like in your life? How do you know that the lordship of Christ, the way of the Lord, is actually being submitted to in your life? Uh, One of the early answers that we get in the example of Christ is what does it look like for you to get away to a desolate place to receive the refreshment and the renewal of the will of God for your life through the power of prayer. Verse 37, when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. For what purpose? For preaching the kingdom of God that comes with the ability to cast out demons and to heal the sick, so that people would know that he is altogether different than any leader or teacher or rabbi or scribe or Pharisee that has ever come through their towns. It is for that purpose the deeper meaning of all of the ministry moments in the Gospels that we see the life of Jesus unfold is that we would establish his Lordship. The number one title for Jesus in all of the Gospels is Christ. And number two is Lord. Lord Jesus is how all of those who first followed him saw him, and it was for that purpose that he did what he did. And he he was preaching, verse 39, in their synagogues throughout Galilee and casting out demons. And now verse 40 gives us another picture, another moment where we're collaging stories together to understand the authority of Christ. And we'll now zoom in to another example, an interaction. Because in these stories, we get a zoom out view where he's teaching and preaching and casting out demons to entire towns at once. And then we get a few instances where Mark is going to give us a real specific story, and this is one of them that has a real specific purpose to understand the authority of Christ. It says in verse 40, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him, and said to him, I am clean. Willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him, sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in the deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Another example where the gospel writer is saying, this is a movement of God that was affecting everyone. And no matter where Jesus was, his fame would go out in ways that wouldn't even let him go into the city. So often we think of Jesus, meek and mild, the shepherd with the sheep on his shoulders, The gospel is renewing us what happens when Jesus and his authority and lordship is truly on display for people to be amazed by. And what happened with his interaction with the leprosy, with this man who was fully healed and could not help but proclaim to everyone who would listen. It stirred the whole city so that Jesus couldn't even come in. You get that picture of Beatlemania when the, you know, the Fab Four would try to come in and all the girls were just beating on their cars and they eventually just had to be rushed off. This is what was happening in the time of Jesus. He was someone who was so pure in the way that he drew people in and cared for people and had compassion on people and amazed people with healing and teaching that everyone wanted to get around him. And I still believe that is the best design for how to grow a gospel community is to decrease everyone but Jesus. Jesus says to the man, go to the priest And take part in what Moses said, referring to the book of Leviticus, and how you are to be cleansed. This story is important, and, and I believe Mark uses specifics, because there is something about this story that I hope will help all of us see the lordship of Christ for its ultimate aim. Because leprosy was the black plague of its day. It was the Ebola. It was the, it was the disease that completely gave you a death wish. And as you awaited your death, from a disease that would completely deteriorate your skin it would numb your senses so that you didn't even know that the boils and the and the sores were growing it made you completely insensitive to pain so it's rumored that people would lay and they couldn't even feel in the middle of the night as animals would chew away at their fingers and absolutely deathly disease. In fact, before we get to the ritual cleansing process in the book of Leviticus, we get in the process for how a leper is supposed to be treated and to address the community by wherever he goes yelling unclean, so that everyone would know that he is unclean, not safe to touch, not safe for community. He must be quarantined and cast out. So it's a disease that completely deteriorates your life. It makes you insensitive to the decay. It ostracizes you from the community, and it puts you on a deathbed awaiting an ultimate and timely death. And Jesus looks at this man, who everyone in that day would have looked at as unclean. Not only that, but they probably would have looked at him as a result of some sin that he had had in his life that caused him to receive such a horrible lot in life. And it says that Jesus looks at him and says, I am willing, and then he touches him. An act that is lost on us. I have the unfortunate privilege of actually visiting a leper colony. And it is tragedy. In India, there is still groups of people who are ostracized from the community. They are set apart. And in going into the leper colonies, we have seen the power of touching a leper with hands of prayer. We've seen the power of just acknowledging these people as still children of God, even in their state. And it's just a small glimpse of the amazement that people must have had when Jesus literally, this supposed holy one who is establishing authority, is set apart and different, touching the unclean, shocking all who are around. And in his touching, it says, immediately the man is cleansed. Why is this story so important? The book of Isaiah uses leprosy as a way to describe the condition of the sinful nation of Israel. Isaiah chapter 1, he gives a description of the horrible and rotten state of Israel. says that it had open sores that were unaddressed and uncleansed from their head to their toe. Desolate describing Israel as now becoming unclean. Israel would need to be revived and refreshed and cleansed the way that a leper would be. And the warning was, otherwise they would be cast off. And for us to truly understand why this passage of Scripture is so powerful, it is not just to applaud the compassion of Jesus, which is there and we rejoice in it. That with the authority of God over heaven and earth, Jesus has compassion on the least of these, the untouchables. Praise God. But it's also to help all of us. I can confidently say that none of you will be able to experience the touch of Christ due to your physical leprosy. But as a picture of sin, we are supposed to understand what a relationship with the Lordship of Christ does to restore us from our sin. And you think about sin as leprosy. It's something that completely invades your life. It makes you insensitive to all of the decay and the destructive nature that will happen as you go down the road of sin. It will ostracize you from the community of God and God himself. And it will eventually destroy your life unto death. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And the picture of leprosy is the way that God sees the dirtiness of our sin. And then you consider the story that's about to unfold. Now with that in your mind, we understand why the gospel of Mark gives us a picture of leprosy and immediately gives us a picture of the authority of Christ that is the deepest and most meaningful authority that we have to submit to. And that comes to us, the final picture, the story of the paralytic. It says, and again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no room to receive them. And even near the door, and he preached the word to them. And they came to him, bringing him a paralytic, who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, imagine it, they uncover the roof. In interruption in preaching and teaching, there's a small glimmer of light that now comes through the ceiling of the roof as the dirt and the clay falls away and the, the, the tiles start chipping away. And it says that they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. This is... Another way that we are so blessed in our modern context to receive that as a statement that is a natural gospel proclamation. Our sins are forgiven, praise God. But think of it in his day. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? This is the question that the, the audience of First century Palestine must have been asking. His authority over unclean spirits, his authority over physical sickness, his authority with compassion, and now his authority to be equal with God. No doubt what Jesus is allowing them to perceive is that he has the authority to forgive sins, something only given to God. We must not undermine the reality that Christ is the living God. We want the lordship of Christ? It will not come from his teaching only. It will not come from hoping that he heals, thanking him from the prayers and moving on. Jesus comes with the ultimate authority to say, only God can forgive sins. Your theology is correct, but you undermining me is where you are wrong because I have the power to forgive sins. And this is the lordship that we all need. The lordship of Christ to cleanse us from the state of internally, from our heart, the leprosy of sin. That just as Jesus touches the heart of the of, or the body of the leper and cleanses them this morning, If you truly believe in Christ as displayed, as elevated in the gospel, you believe that Christ has the power to touch your life and make you clean, to set you free, to remove all guilt, to remove all shame, to do what he did to the leper and say, now go back and allow the process by which Moses takes you through to enter back into the community so that you're no longer on a deathbed of sin so they're no longer separated from God because of your sin, so that you're no longer someone who can, cannot see your family because of sin, so you're no longer who is insensitive to the tragedy and the destructive nature of the life that you're living because of your sin. He will cleanse you by touching your heart, and he has the authority to do so. It says in verse 8, but immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins, he said, I say to you, arise and take up your bed and go to your house. It is a conundrum for the audience that was listening, which is easier to say. Only God can do either of those things the ultimate authority for physical healing, the ultimate authority for spiritual newness of life. And so that Jesus does not offer forgiveness of sins without a display of his power, he says, so that you would know what I can do, I will heal this man, and he rises and he walks. And immediately he rose and took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. What does the lordship of Christ look like for those who truly acknowledge him? That is the question that is being stirred as we read all of these stories. The lordship of Christ to acknowledge a spiritual dimension of reality and say that Christ is the king to acknowledge that there is a physical dimension of reality and our outward body is perishing, but God is sovereign over all of it. He can heal to his glory, but the ultimate reality is that what we need more than anything else, if God came and only healed cancer and only healed all of our ailments and only got us so that we could walk without a limp and we still died dead in our sins, it was all for naught. And yet all of us, whether we limp, whether we go in maimed with one eye or one arm, whether we have cancer, whether we die in a car accident, when we meet the Lord face to face and our sins have been forgiven by the profession of faith for the one who cleansed us of our sins, we will have eternal life and life everlasting. The ultimate authority of Christ is to cleanse you from the inside out. So what does the acknowledgement of Christ look like in your your life? I'll give a couple answers and then we will take communion. One, to acknowledge the authority of Christ is to have confidence in him. I look at the, the leper and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can clean me. If you're willing, that leper had to break through the shame and the ridicule of a community that looked at him as an unclean person. And he goes and he falls on his face and he was willing to ask with confidence that Christ could do it because he had lordship over everything. The confidence to believe in the lordship of Christ is the confidence to ask. The confidence to fall on your face and submit your life to him at the ridicule of others. There's only a couple ways that I experience any authority in this world, but one of the ways I know that I'm scratching the surface of authority is when people ask me for things, namely my kids. <laughs> when they say, hey, I know you've got a little money and I want this thing. Can you please buy it? They're saying to me, we trust and we have confidence in you that you have the authority to give us what we want. And when I hear that from my kids, I say, I'm so sorry, God, because I do not have the same a confidence in your lordship over my life. how do we acknowledge the lordship of Christ? Compassion. It says that as we get this story of the leper, Jesus looked at him with compassion. In so many ways, we are the product of the authority of our lives. For those of us who grew up under a harsh regime, so often we ourselves have a tendency to just reject all things that are harsh or to just be a harsh person ourselves. And we live under this atmosphere of how our authority figures have shaped us. The authority of Christ should make us the most loving people in the world. As we fall under his authority, we fall under his ways. And wherever he went, he was others centric. He was doing whatever he could to heal people, to cast out demons, to teach them with authority the way that they should live, to do what others wouldn't do by touching the untouchable. In all of his interruptions, with compassion, he addresses the person to give them what they actually needed. And then we get this picture of those who acknowledge Christ and the Lordship, and it's these four friends who will do anything for their friend. With compassion, they pick him up and take him to a house. With compassion, they lay, they get him onto a roof, and then they open a window or the, the, the roof and then they drop him in. All of those things, with the confidence they have in the lordship of Christ and the compassion that they have on their friend, it says that their faith made him well. What does your faith do for other people? What does your faith in the lordship of Christ over all of creation do to move you towards others? To use the authority of God given to you to have a newness of life to you that now benefits those around you? And in both of those, the confidence and the compassion, what does it mean to acknowledge the authority of Christ? It means to live forgiven. It means that no matter what you have done, no matter what open sores that sin may have left on you, no matter what guilt or what shame, no matter what others have done to you, the healing power of God has the ability to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to be set free as a new creation in Christ. If he truly is the Lord over all creation with the power to forgive sins, then he has the power to forgive you and make you a forgiven person so that you no longer have bitterness, you no longer have hurt and pain and guilt and shame, you have the ability to be cleansed as a leper is cleansed and to be set forth to be joyfully proclaiming the goodness of God to all who will listen to live cleansed. As we consider all of those things, I'll leave you with a quote from Johnny Erickson, Erickson Tata, who, if you know her story, is an example of someone who trusts in the Lordship of God no matter what circumstance life throws at her. In her early adulthood, when she was a young woman, she miscalculated the depth of water that she was diving into, and she became a quadriplegic. So she learned from a young age how to trust God in ailments and pain, a God who is the Lord of her spiritual well-being and her sovereign over her physical state. She learned how to trust God in all that to make her someone who believed in his goodness, the power to forgive sins, and his ultimate authority to give her a destination that will make this suffering of this world seem like a blink of an eye. And this is what she says. I always say that in a way, I hope I can take my wheelchair to heaven with me. I know that's not biblically correct, but if I were able, I would have my wheelchair up in heaven right next to me when God gives me my brand new glorified body. And I will then turn to Jesus and say, Lord, you see that wheelchair right there? You were right. You said that in this world we would have trouble because the wheelchair was a lot of trouble. But Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you and the harder I leaned on you as Lord, the stronger I discover you to be. So thank you for what you did in my life through the wheelchair. And now, I always say jokingly, you can send that wheelchair to hell if you want. (laughs) You are on a journey in a short window of life that you have, to learn the authoritative lordship of Christ over every aspect of your life. What does that look like? One way you're gonna acknowledge the lordship of God week by week by going to this church is by saying, God, I am forgiven. You have the power to forgive sins, not because of my well-being, not because I'm good enough, not because I found a program or a karma program or some good teaching program to outdo the bad with the good. It is because you died on the cross. Not one sin that has been committed by me or you or any member of the human race has not been dealt with by the wrath of God poured out on the cross of Christ so that every sin can be forgiven, punishable by death, death on a cross, And every person who believes in the power of the cross can be clean, cleansed, guilt-free, shame-free. And you can hold that in your hand today, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, and say, you are the Lord of forgiveness.